Pelotero Pickle, episode 153. This is the ABCA recap episode. Chris and I chop up uh, our experience at ABCA with Coach Clinic, um, some exciting new tech. We also get into some deep discussion about Texas barbecue. Check it out. It's a fun episode. Pelotero Pickle, episode 153. This is the official ABCA recap episode. Uh, reminder before we get started, send us your questions, topics, concerns to pickle at pelotero.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, X, Facebook, TikTok, all of your favorite social media platforms. Uh, yeah, Chris, we're going to get into it today. It's... Uh, just to preface everything, it's cold in Texas. I got a beanie on. I got a sweatshirt. It's my first beanie day in Texas. I've not, this is my very first beanie day. So shout out to Heading Approach for the Carhartt beanie. It's very warm. And uh, I shouldn't complain because it's 20 degrees, but my blood is very thin since being here, and I hate it. I don't like my hands being cold, and my hands are cold when I get my car. So, uh, Chris, how are you doing? All right, you almost drove off the road the other day because of conditions you survived yeah so that's good yep How, how's it's the weather now, up there? Uh, snowing as we speak it's yeah, uh guys- it's really the first snow we've gotten and i mean we had a storm while we were gone it was the first storm in like two years bad one anyway. you have to shovel you gotta shovel your driveway is it enough yep. snow to shovel you don't shovel yes. you, your neighbor's yes. got a plow right uh no that's actually like changing now he uh he no longer has the plow so that's, there's that's some problem that needs to be done. but you have a four you have a yeah, four-wheel it's... drive vehicle so you just you and your wife both have four-wheel drives there's a lot of power a lot of four-wheel drives it's the way i feel like it should go because snow melts but we do need to do the walkways and things of that nature i would be i would be very concerned like pulling out of your driveway it's kind of steep kind of a blind turn situation i i would i would heavily salt that area if i were if i lived at your house i would make sure that it's not not frozen no black ice at the end of your driveway it'd be sketchy yeah that's a good place uh like it's a good place to do it you know if you're gonna do it so yeah, that's what there is, and that's what there was, and that's what there will be. Philosophical, nice. you know. Yeah, let's jump in. Uh, let's jump right into topics. <clears throat> ABCA it was two weekends ago. We both I went to the Texas High School Convention this past weekend, which was here in my hometown, which is very convenient. You had, you got to go down to Mohegan Sun for the World Baseball Convention, so we've uh, had a bit of a hiatus here. It's a lot to recap. Uh, Let's start with the coach event that we did. We on the the Thursday called the pre ABCA event. We got to do a better job timing wise with it in the future, so we don't encroach on the actual ABCA convention. We 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 encroach on the trade show time, not on the coach presentation. But we did a we did a free coach clinic. It's something that uh, you, myself, Jason Ferber, Casey Smith, Nate Headley. Uh, we had the pitching and hitting coaches from Wake Forest. Who else was there? Who else spoke? That's it, That's I think, it. From, a, from a speaking standpoint. Um, really, really uh, high-level room. 
So a lot of professional coaches, college coaches, high school coaches, private facility co- owners. Uh, pretty high level room, in my opinion. Um, you actually didn't get to talk. You were supposed to speak, but um, the Wake staff ran over their time, which was very welcome because it was excellent content. But you didn't get to talk, so I'm curious on your for, from your perspective. What were your biggest takeaways? I felt like uh, Corey Mascara, New Hampshire guy, absolutely crushed it. Um, is it Decento? I keep forgetting his name, his last name. Salento. Salento. I, Salento. I don't know why. I don't know why I keep saying Decento. Say it again. That's what you do. Salento. Salento. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to remember his like Salentro, and then I'll forget it again. I was like, I need to like anchor stuff in my head for memory purposes, and I just. I get stuck on Corey because I know Corey, um, but they were fantastic. I absolutely loved their energy, their vibe, their what, how willing they were to share. What, what do you got? What were your big takeaways for them? My biggest takeaway is the people that we hang out with say really rational stuff. I just I love when continue. I love when rational stuff is like valuable. I love it. Groundbreaking, earth shattering. So uh, this is uh, this is going to sound probably. Like, just for lack of a better word, shitty. Every time I watch somebody talk that we hang out with, I just go, oh, yeah, that's what exactly what I would have said. And it makes complete sense. And then people go, whoa, that was incredible. And I go, uh, that was like a breathing on a Tuesday. You know, I, I and I, I guess... The way the way I, I circle back to it all is, it just th- there's different ways of rationalizing how you're going to do player development, instruction, coaching, teaching, mentoring, and I think it all has to just always circle back to humans. Uh, and, and I think the people that I associate with tend to do that um, a lot, and that's probably why like law of attraction stuff happens and why they become part of the circle and um but they're just dudes that you can hang out with and have conversations for hours you're never going to run out of content because you know that there's an infinity loop of stuff that needs to be addressed and there's always a way to help a player and i think that's everybody's just like kind of looking for progression all the time right they're looking for how do I build from this to that to the next thing. And I think really we need to look at development as kind of like an ongoing circle. It's a continuous flow. Um, it's the it's the challenge of, of, of training players. And I think most people at some point feel like they're going to run out of stuff. Um, and I don't think I'm ever going to run out because it never ends. Right. Development never ends. It's not it's it's an ongoing process. Well, it's always individual. So you have you can you can build these baselines of information. These like Wake talked a ton about competition and always creating challenges, making stuff really hard, which I loved. I loved I love their stuff about um, team meetings not being separated between pitchers and hitters. That they they come together as a group and determine what they're trying to achieve. I really like that. Um, but to your point, yeah, everything is always individualized and we can learn and we can identify and we can study video and we can go to these coach clinics. But ultimately, you're trying to get each individual to perform at their best. 
So for me, like <clears throat> a lot of motor preference was a huge topic. I felt like, I, I don't know if it's just our circle, um, if it's stuff that we're just keyed in on right now. So it's, it's prevalent in our minds, but like, it's all about the application of it. So you can, you can, you you can learn as much as you want about every topic in the world. And then you got to like get in the cage with the player and help them get better. You got to get on the field and have these individual performances. So I approach everything with, I would say optimistic skepticism where I'm looking for value. I'm not, I think a lot of people try to knock stuff down initially when it's new. They, they, it threatens them. I always look at it as like, where's the gold? Where's the value? How do we, how do we apply this to somebody that, maybe we're not connecting with right now. And I, I don't know if that's unique or I don't know. I feel like there's just, you never know what's going to work. So how could you ever shut doors to information? Well, I think so. The more I look at the space and it, and, and really anything, if you will, I think the people that are the most successful that I know um, in whatever field they're in generally tend to be, pretty humble, uh, confident, but humble, right? Confident in what they know and believe, but humble enough to know that they don't know everything. And there's this never ending string of paradigms that come up with training young players or helping young players grow into, especially in baseball, to the athletes that they want to be or the, you know, playing closer to their ceiling or whatever you want to call it. And it's always evolving, right? Because it doesn't matter. Your skill, your skill ultimately doesn't define how good you can be because there's a lot of stuff that gets attached to it, right? There's a lot of stuff that is rooted in performance and the emotion that goes with performance. And then if you really like sit back and say, okay, well, what am I looking at from a landscape standpoint? There's, there's team performance and there's individual performance and they're two separate things and they're interconnected somehow. Uh, they're micro and macro level problems. And I think the reason why I have kind of decent perspective on it is because I studied micro and macroeconomics as part of what I, I majored in. And I was very confused initially by how different micro and macroeconomics were. Uh, if you look at like the GDP of a nation, it's recycling the dollar, right? Like recycling the money that goes through an ecosystem to, to benefit the whole, right? To benefit the masses. And the reality is, the masses don't always have the same reflection, like doing good for the group is not necessarily doing good for the individual uh, because of averages and, and things like that. So there has to be an offset somewhere uh, in a perfect world. You want to raise the floor all the time, right? You want to raise what the, the, the poorest person has, but realistically, if you, if you look at it from an economics level, there's still going to be a poorest and a richest no matter what. Right. And that to me is the same as when I look at hitting, right? Like team concepts are how do we score the most points, right? Like a team hitting coach is going, how do we score the most points? If your offense is scoring six, seven runs a game in college baseball, like you're doing something right. That doesn't mean every guy is going to hit 300 with 20. <laughs> like it just, it just doesn't, you can have really good offensive performances, individual offensive performances, but at the end of the day, the hitting coach for a team is always going to be thinking about the, the whole. And then anytime he spends focus on any one individual, it, it kind of 
takes away from that greater good. And then there's only so much time in a day. So really what it comes down to is like time as a finite resource makes these things very difficult to accomplish, right? And you can go down all these different rabbit holes and think about the hows and whys, but it's why we have private swing or private hitting coaches, whatever you want to call them, that have kind of popped up um, in the industry and why they're becoming relevant at the professional collegiate high school levels and, and why there's this like kind of ongoing battle all the time as to what is best for said individual and for the team that they play for. It's really well said. Nice job. We get to spend more time with the wake staff at, uh, what was it called? Uh, Hard eight barbecue place. You get to chop it up with wow. them quite a bit. That was what, that's what it was yeah. called, right? Heartache. Um, yeah, you get to one, go through the smoke pit to order your food. Yeah, first of all, fantastic, fantastic barbecue. Uh, number two, excellent conversation with good people, which is great. Uh, what else do you take away from the, the coach event? I, I gave kind of a big talk. I tried to go as fast as I could. It ended up being like 25 minutes. I wanted it to be 10, but 70 slides in 10 minutes is ambitious. Um, my goal with that is is – to create just an objective understanding of the swings, not the swing of the swings in the different ways. I just, I love that I can look at a swing right now and just really identify efficiency and leaks and understand like very, very specific movements that are either helping or hurting. It's just so it was interesting to, it was interesting to watch your presentation, right? Um, I think you get, when you know what you're trying to say, you're very impactful. I think everybody waits for you to know what you're trying to say. And then when you do that, it's really cool. So I, I really appreciated that. I, I looked through the deck that you had sent ahead of time that morning. Um, and it was great. I thought, honestly, like that was probably my favorite part because it was the first time you've done anything like that in a while. Um, everything else, it, it, as great as it all was, right, we, we get caught up in our words and we're trying to find the right words to deliver the information to help people understand what we understand. That's what educating, developing, instructing, teaching, coaching is, right? You're trying to find the right formula to deliver the information to somebody else. Casey Smith and I talk about this all the time we use our words really well in those settings. Like we can adapt and move on the fly and be chameleons in those environments to really ultimately just what you're trying to do is build, build somebody's confidence so that when they leave the cage, they feel good. It's the same stuff Getty used to say about Walt Riniak, probably what Getty did for me for a long, long time. I can make you feel good. I can be empathetic when I need to be, I can be compassionate. I can kick you in the ass when you need it. I, I can really feel out those those different times through your emotions and your body language to have a pretty good understanding of what could move the needle for you right now. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but really like when, what, and, and, and then you, you circle back to what is most important for any individual hitter. Um, so as a whole, I look at that day and I go, you know, Bill Salento, Corey Mascara, Jason Ferber, Casey Smith, 
uh, Nate Headley, all guys who I think are very, very good at the same thing as I'm that I'm good at, right? It's that relational side, not to say that you're not. Um, but certainly like your, your ability to connect dots and then like try to take hard things and make them simple when you communicate them, um, is good because I think everything's hard and everything's easy at the same time. It just depends on what lens you're looking at it from. So it's like, how do we get more people to look at things through the easy lens? Right. So see them and understand them. And that's why it's about delivering them in different ways and having different, I guess, cadences to, to, to your messages. The, the whole simple versus simpler thing. I've been, I'm so big on that because it seems like people get mad when you want to talk about detail. People get like, uh, they get like almost upset with you that you want to dive into the weeds and you want to understand variations and, and complexity. I, <clears throat> the whole like averages are the enemy thing. I feel like simple, simpler is the enemy and it's a disservice to athletes. It's, it's a disservice to the whole thing when you try to make it simpler because it's not simpler. It's, this is hard. This is, you know, especially at the, at the higher levels of the game, you're trying to eke out small percentage gains with younger kids. Yeah, let's get the basics, right? Let's get the foundations in place. It's, I keep using the analogy. Like if we're going on a scale of zero to a hundred, the kid going from 20 to 30, that that's a big jump going from 92 to 93 is, you know, within the 90th percentile, it's still a 10% gain, but it's 20 to, it's a, it's, it's a one percentage, 1% 1 point versus 10% points. So for me, it's, it's all foundational stuff. I, it's hard for me sometimes to talk about the whole without talking about the pieces because you get at me all the time about d defining things. And I just, it's, I hate having conversations when I, I know the base level of knowledge is not in place to have the right conversation. And it's all surface level. And like we, we can get on this podcast and talk and we can say a whole bunch of surface level stuff and never get into the weeds about anything and spend an hour talking about nothing because it's not applicable. There's no, there's no true relevancy to an individual. So it's, it's hard. And like to go through what I feel is my, my best version of the information I've ever had in 25 minutes like pretty wild to study something so heavily and then boil it down to 25 minutes. So yeah. everything, everything you're saying, right. Is, uh, I guess where my brain has kind of been going quite a bit lately. Right. Um, the simple versus simpler, uh, paradigm. Hitting is hitting is simple, fundamentally, right? It is fundamentally simple. There's a ball coming. You have to try to hit it with the bat. Within that, there's just a lot of different stuff that happens. And I think the, 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 the thing that our industry has kind of done over the last 20 years, which to me is incredibly short-sighted, we, we've, we've turned this game like for a long time, we were like, kids are playing too much. We need to train more. And now I think guys are training quite a bit, right? They're, they're, they're doing a lot of indoor training facilities, popping up cages, hitting instructors, this, that, and the other thing. 
And the thing that makes that really, I guess, scary to me is the fact that you, you just can't recreate the game ever. Like you just can't do it. Like the game is its own unique animal, right? The emotions that come with a game, the, 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 the real, there's something on the line every time you go up to bat. It's it's really like success versus embarrassment, if you think about it, right? And, and this, I guess, the way I perceived it when I was a kid. And so the way our training world has gone and the reason why all these Holiday Inn experts have showed up, whether it be through data or swing technique or whatever it is, they're all creating like, oh, okay, I understand game data, right? Like, yeah, pull the ball in the air is great. Pull the ball in the air is great. How? Because once you try to pull the ball in the air in the game versus in the cage, you're going to be left asking yourself some questions because there's a there's a lot of inherent failure that comes with that, and like bad failure. I'm talking about man when you when that becomes your mindset, there are very very few guys that can think about pull the ball in the air and no like let it failure. be their thing. Very small margin right? of error failure. Yeah. And, and you can go train it in the cage all you want till you're blue in the face. Like I can go in the cage and hit a bunch of pull side fly balls and I'll hook some balls and here and there. And, and I think the way, the way, and I'm going to circle into this, but like, that's one thing. Right. And then we train swing technique for optimization in the cage and we go, Oh, well, yeah, this is creating optimal outcomes and it looks the best and it's great. Like, Let's just argue, right? Let's let's argue, uh, and I'm going to just make a blanket statement here for the sake of this 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 topic. Let's just say there is a best way to swing, right? From an optimization standpoint, let's just make that assumption, even though I don't fundamentally believe that that's true. Let's just say there was. Well, I, I put a tweet up about this the other day. I was like. You clearly have, if, if you think that that's the nuts and bolts of it, then you clearly haven't had to face real life pitching, right? Like you've never had to face a pitcher that could get you out, that knew how to manipulate what you were doing, right? And that's why Greg Maddox was so successful. Like he'd watch the hitter and go, oh, I know what he's trying to do. And I'm just that wording, do this. Chris, that wording was so good. When you've never faced a pitcher that can manipulate what you're doing. So and important. Like, so such good wording. Well, and, and and like again, we're we're sitting here trying to talk about optimization, and the game is played in suboptimal guys. Like the, the like the margins. I I was having this conversation with Chad Knight. The margins are in the suck. Like human your encyclopedia, margins, Chad Knight. <laughs> yeah, like your that which was ridiculous, like unbelievable. And the margins, and, and he loved the way I phrased it because he loves connecting things to the stock market and investment portfolios the margins in hitting are in how good you can suck. Like how good can you be at being bad? How good can you be at like, like carrying that bat through the zone a tick longer. So you, instead of catching the end of the bat, you catch a little bit more barrel and, and you hit your floater. It's in how good can you be at covering the outside corner when you need to. And, and so like the way we're looking at it and to go back to what you were saying about simple versus simpler, the data is looking at everything on the surface level. So we are looking at it with like this simple lens and it's not good enough. It's really not good enough to define what needs to happen in development because it's just, it, it's, it's, we're missing like so much of it, right? Oh, just swing like this, turn hard, spin, you know, 
like that, like whatever, whatever, whoever the, the hitting guy is, or like whatever you're trying to accomplish, it's like, it, like it, it's fine under optimal circumstances. But like, how do you how do you prepare for suboptimal circumstances while still trying to create optimal outcomes when when you can? It's it's like Justin Turner's line about why isn't the breaking ball that I get fooled on get out front, stay through it? and hit it off the left field monster at Fenway, why is that not considered an A swing? Because the, the, the industry saying like, oh, well, it's not an A swing because it didn't look like an A swing. The A swing is related to the pitch type. Like there is an A swing for every pitch type and location. And they all look different. It's one gather to create a million different swings, infinity swings. It's one gather. It's, it's the risk reward. It's the... It's the interception on the bad pass, not the interception when you jump the route, right? Everybody's looking for the jump the route swing right now. They're looking for the 3-0-3-1-2-0-2-1 when they throw it where you want it. And I'm more concerned about the risk reward. We're playing like zone coverage and we're in positions to make plays when the guy makes a bad throw. I love when you get going. Love it. The jump the route thing is so good, um, especially with the, the NFL football playoffs and everything. Like, yeah, if you get if the guy just throws a bad pass and you're in position, you make a play. If you're jumping around, you're taking a risk. You're you're making yourself a calculated vulnerable. risk, but you're making you're making yeah. yourself you're creating vulnerability. Um, Brandon, so Brandon, who I share the office with here, um, he does jujitsu. He just he just went to class. And he uses the word dilemmas. He's like, jujitsu is all about creating dilemmas and solving dilemmas where you're, you're trying to create compromising positions that you have to solve. And in jujitsu, like you have to be, you're aware, you have to be so present because like somebody's going to arm bar you and break your arm in half if you're not present. BP, you just take another, oh, you rolled over, so what? Like you're not, you're, you're not getting leg locked in, in pain tapping out it's like no it's just oh, oh can i get one more can i get one more versus a game when like the leg lock version of a game is like a rollover like you just got beat but people don't view it like that and we had a decent but, amount of conversation about game versus practice and i i loved it because it's just the emotion everybody wants to simulate gameplay and they just crank a machine up but then they swing at 95 percent of the pitches when in a game you're not swinging that many pitches so why are we practicing you know, that way? But do you know the why behind all that, right? Like, you, you, like the the real why behind which piece specifically? Uh, the, this kind of like the totality of it, right? Like this this whole thing, uh, the the margins part, like the, the training versus the game. So I, I think I'll I'll my words should make it clear. The things that make you successful in baseball, you don't really feel. Like, you don't feel them, right? I, I had the tweet the other day. Like, you have the 10 for 20, right? And you feel nasty. And you feel good. And you're like, oh, shit. It could have been 14 for 20. But, like, we'll take 10 for 20. We're never complaining about that, right? And then, like, you have the 10 for 60, right? Like, the 10 for 60 sucks. It's fucking awful. Like, you want to slam your head up against the wall, stab yourself in an eyeball. You're It's torture, dude. You feel like you you're, you're like a... You don't know how to hit. You have the barrel in your hands. Turning that 10 for 60 into 12 for 55 
is earth-shatteringly good. But it doesn't feel that way while it's happening. So wh while you're sucking, it's hard to be like, well, I'm sucking better than I, I, I could be sucking. It's like we have a lack of appreciation for one for four with the dunk over the second baseman's head. Like you punch out twice, roll over, and then you dunk a ball over the second baseman's head, your last at bat to salvage the one for four. Dude, you feel like shit after the game. Like, nobody's going like, dude, what a survival day. Oh, my God, I can't believe I got one. Nobody's doing that. Like, no, there's no person on the planet that feels that way. Because the bar is four for four with four rockets, right? Your bar is, oh, my God, I went four for four with four rockets. So learning how to appreciate turning 0 for four into 0 for three with a walk or turning 0 for five into one for four with a sack fly and a 17 hopper. Like the game has like devalued the 17 hopper, right? It's, it's saying like, well, singles are worthless. And I like a non out is worthless. How, like how, in what reality is that possible? And then the psychological effects it can have on a hitter. Like I, I look at this from a very personal lens, and I, I always say this: like I don't know how other feel, hitters feel about going 0 for four. I know guys that are are completely immune to 0 for four. If I went 0 for four, we're gonna have a problem very soon, right? I, I'm 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 having issues. If I go 0 for eight, like we're starting to go like to the borderline edge of insanity, and then 0 for 12 is I'm losing it, right? And then anything beyond that is just this progression into worse. So for me, the ability to survive and maintain and, and, and find a way to scratch out one was like a savior of sorts because it kept me out of the loony bin, literally. And I, <laughs> Monkey mind? Uh, just, just yeah. Circle, like, circle, the, the spiral of death of your approach? Uh, I, Especially, imagine if you're the DH or you're playing right field and you don't touch the ball, right? Like, at least when I was playing first base, I could make the argument that I had to do something. Like, I caught the ball, so I helped the team. But if you're playing right field and don't get a ball, or if you're DHing and you go 0 for 4 with two strikeouts, a pop-up, and a ground out, you See had tomorrow. zero impact on the game. It's like you might as well See not tomorrow. even be there. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I, I'm going to shout out Ryan Johansson for, for sending me this text the other night. He goes... He goes, I think I figured some stuff out. He goes, Ooh. Uh, baseball players are sociopaths because sociopaths like enjoy pain. So he, he literally sent this. He goes, I think you'll appreciate this. And it, it, he said so, it was something to the tune of like, oh, great. Like I'm going to the game. I'm super confident. I feel good about myself. Oh, I go over four and feel like crap. And I'm contemplating selling all my gear on eBay that night. And then somebody says, same time tomorrow. Yep. See you at the field. Like, you know, and, and that's, he's like, he literally is like sociopaths enjoy pain. I think we, we have to enjoy pain in some capacity. And, and I think the, the, the analogy that I use is like, there's no pleasure without pain. So I asked, the, I asked the Maryland kids, you know, a couple months ago, I said, like, if you hit a walk-off homer every game, would that have meaning anymore? Or if you just hit a homer every game? Like, if everybody could just hit a homer every game, it wouldn't mean anything, right? So I think that's the beauty of baseball is it, it helps you appreciate the when it's good how to really 
find joy in it, be happy. And this, we're off the rails, but I, I think it's all good stuff. No, so. we are, we are on the rails, Chris. This is, this is, this is the rails. This is it. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to keep you going right now. The, uh, you remember like in high school when you'd have like a, the teachers would have like a workshop day and then the next day you come into school and they're like, oh, here's the new way we do stuff. Here's the new for I used to hate that. Like some MLA format got introduced. So it's like, oh, you're going to lose points if you don't have the right number of spaces between your date and the start of your writing. It's like, what are we, what are we, it has nothing to do with the actual content. Um, I feel like ABC has the potential to be that for a lot of coaches where they go, they get fired up and they try to implement stuff. And then it's the whole Mike Tyson, you got a plan to get punched in the mouth. Um, the, the emotional side of it and going back to the, the, the topic of why you can't simulate the game. It's like you got to get out there and compete. And that's like the baseline of this whole thing is like we're trying to win a game. We're trying to compete. And when you focus so much effort on optimal – People, there's a huge thing about like training economy right now and, and workload management. Wake Forest did this whole talk about how they make everything a competition. They want to be like really, really good at competition. It's, like they don't, it's not that they want bad swings, but if you spend all your time trying to fix your swing, how much of your swing training is about becoming a better competitor? Or are you just trying yeah, to because- make moves? Are you just trying to make your swing pretty? You gotta go find. You gotta go find. As Ferbs would say, you gotta go fuck around and find out. And I'm dropping f bombs today because I think it matters, right? Like, I talk with with Getty about this a lot. Like, why are we putting limitations on humans? Why are we trying to predict? It? And the workload management stuff that just struck a chord with me, right? I want to play 162 games, and I want to play every inning of 162 games. I'll figure it out. Like, I'll, I'll figure out how to manage my body to make sure that I'm okay. Right? I'll, I'll just figure it out. It's okay. We're not asking guys to, you know, run 27 miles a day. It's I don't need massive recovery in baseball. So that's one thing. The other thing I want to allude to here is <laughs> we had a hitting session um, after ABCA. And we literally got to see the effects of not having your own mental priority system as a hitter, regardless of what information is being handed to you. So you alluded to the coaches that come to ABCA. We're all confused. We're all lost. And I think just some less lost than others, right? We're always looking for new things to help our players. That's why 10,000 coaches show up at that, at that event. We're, we're trying to understand how to help players the best. But if your development plans and if your growth as a player isn't rooted in something, then you're making a fundamental mistake. I'm not saying you can't change your routines. I think changing your routines over time is actually good. I think adapting to the circumstances. But to be like water, to do the Bruce Lee stuff, you have to be incredibly secure in your foundational principles, right? So the hitting session I'm alluding to, 
we can talk about who it was or we not. I watched a player get paralyzed in a cage to the point where he couldn't make a swing because we were talking about things that now trumped his ability to remember his core principles because he was trying to optimize. Is that good or bad for the player? It's probably a good learning experience, right? It's something that needs to happen for said player. Oh, think about D-cell and how your foot's doing this and how your body's moving that. But then we got into a situation where somebody was flipping him the ball and he got paralyzed. Literally could not make a swing. Explain that to me, Bobby. Explain which yeah All what's your baseline it. yeah there's got to be a baseline and and it wasn't entirely fair to that hitter because we were we were as there were three coaches in the cage kind of all bouncing around ideas about how we were translating what we were seeing and the player was just we we, we got him back to where he needed to be but the players need to filter everything that they're hearing they have to understand what they're trying to do and there's, there's so Take a time much out right there. Wait a minute. Okay. I okay. need to stop you. So I need to stop you. So and just add this to the story. If you get, if you did the same thing to me, the player, right. And 20 years of difference in maturity and experience, would that have ever happened? At what point, at what stage? Now I'm talking about like oh, now, now the me, no. the me, that is the confident me, right? Well, you, I mean, you go, you got a bat, and you you try to feel some stuff because you're you're always going to anchor whatever's being told. It's like, can we look at it as like foundational stuff? Like, you're, if you have a foundation of information, like you've got your base layer that's never going to change, and then the stuff above that might be more susceptible to change, and then the stuff above that is even more susceptible to change. But if you don't have that base layer to, and that, it's not that that can never change. That base layer should be very hard to change. Like that's the most solidified information that you have. That is your foundation. That's your rock. That's what everything is. Everything is filtered against that. And if you have a player that doesn't have that foundation and they are susceptible to changing anything at any time, that's terrifying to me. I would argue it's the same with coaching. It's the same with coaching. Absolutely. So you have to go, like if we want to just get to the root of things, you like to define stuff. And you said something that I don't like that you define stuff all the time. I think there's like extents, but you've just, helped you me. You give me a hard time. You give me a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I have no problem with. I, I've also said this openly to a bunch of people. Like you've helped me see the light in a lot of ways about how we need to define stuff and how why we need to go to those layers at times. So we need to really define what are the core principles of hit of hitting. These things will never change you better be able to compete like crazy. Number one, first and foremost, if you don't know how to compete, we're done, which is why Wake Forest roots all their shit in competition. Because like worst like worst case scenario, the cream's gonna rise to the top, right? We're, we're Like if we compete, we're gonna let the cream rise. And I'm gonna find out who the dogs are here. I, I'll go to battle with the dogs nine days, uh, seven days a week, right? I'll go to battle with nine dogs seven days a week. I don't care what they look like. That's one. Number two, be on time. Inherent and implicit understanding of timing. Regardless of whatever movements or mechanics you're making around it, you have to understand when the bat is needs to be delivered to the ball. 
because it comes down to barrel and baseball. All the shit we're talking about around the swing is rooted in how do I deliver the mass of the bat to the baseball? So like, how do I learn timing? And then number three is how do I swing at the right stuff? Right? In the right times. And, and sometimes the swing at the right stuff, this is where a layer of context already gets added. Guess what? Against a guy who's got something for your ass, it might be swing at the 1-0 fastball that's like half a ball off because you're not going to get a better pitch to hold at bat. And the reason why our game does a poor job with the data and with the with the with the context and isn't doing enough is because if I go if I go face a dude who's shoving that that OO fastball that's an edge fastball it might be the best pitch I get to hit that hole at bat and I have to make that decision without knowing the future information I have to have intuition that tells me that and therefore I have to swing at it. So if we take that context away, all the swing decision models are broken. They're broken, fundamentally broken, because again, we're we're point we're rooting them in averages. So, core principles: compete, be on time, swing at the right stuff. What is the right stuff? Is probably the third layer, and it already starts to evolve based on the information in the game. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, anything else you want to talk or you want to move on to some more stuff? Let's go on. I want to talk about the uh, sensor edge bat. I have it with me. I got the software, software installed. So this is, a, this is a, a bat from sensor edge. I talked about them in my talk. I met these guys at the winter meetings. They've been around as a company for a while with uh, more of the foot-based stuff, like pressure mapping, pressure uh, for the feet in the ground this one i've been chasing grip stuff for a long time because the grip is the inner it's the actual interaction with the bat between your body and the bat and you were just talking about how like we're trying to move this thing the only way to move it is the connection through our hands and the whole body's involved but specific to this grip there's been other grip stuff i i i have a i bought these like golf things at one point they just had little pressure pads in the fingertips it was horrible it didn't work didn't do anything um but i was trying i was looking for it i was i was i've been chasing this for a while so the coolest thing about this because people are like oh cool you're it's pressure and they don't understand why i'm so excited so uh in the golf world the club face creates like what square is so everything around the grip can be oriented to the square club face that makes sense so like target like the lining like golf neutral is the target line so you can be you know to the ball a ball hit to the right of the target line is a push a ball hit to the left of the target line is a pull these are just golf terms you got face face angles relative to that target line path angles relative to that target line baseball doesn't really talk about target line they don't it's it's kind of the pitcher but even the pitcher if you get like sidearm or a guy that stands off to the side with a more of a three-quarter or sidearm angle like that the, the angle that that pitch is coming from varies. And then the contact point, because it's not on a tee and we can't control it, it's variable. So in the context of one gather, many, many, many swings, the cool thing about this is, yes, we're doing pressure, like volume, so how much pressure. Uh, yes, we're doing like top hand versus bottom hand. 
But the cool thing about this is there's orientation. So all bats that have an ink dot on them, like the wood bats with an ink dot, that is, they calibrate the grip to that ink dot. So now we have some foam balls now that I can hit with this because I don't want to break this back because it's kind of expensive. But I can now create a position where I can tell the hitter I need that ink dot facing the pitcher in your setup. So now I've got pressure, and it's like you could do individual finger pressure. It's, it shows what side of the bat pressure is being put on for each hand. So I can go like bottom hands on the catcher side versus the pitcher side, top hands on the pitcher side versus the catcher side. So it's got how much pressure, orientation of pressure, and then it's all synced up to contact. So it auto-detects contact. So now I've got pressure per hand, per side of the bat, with orientation and timing. To me, that's, that's pretty sexy. It's pretty good. So the weirdest part, <laughs> the weirdest part about the, all the stuff you just said is I've been manipulating grips and grip pressure for 25 years without ever really thinking I needed to talk about it. And so when you got all excited about like the grip stuff, I thought that was table stakes, man. I thought that was, I, 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 I treated it as if it was something that everybody already knew. And, and isn't, it, this isn't goes, it scary what we assume? Isn't it but scary? It's, it's crazy. Right. Like, but this is why hitting is, is such like a, it, it's such like, it's a difficult thing because there's so many different factors that play into everything and they all matter if they matter and they don't matter if they don't matter right to each individual. And it's uh, something as simple as, and I, I'm just going to use a different analogy. Like I told one of our guys that hit with us forever two years ago or three years ago, I said, why don't you just use a 34? Like I said it in passing, right? Casually as if, as if it wasn't hard for me to go from a 33 and a half to a 34 at the time, right? Because you get so habit focused and routine oriented until you're capable of realizing that, that the, the like the Bruce Lee, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do is the more you go along in this, the more you realize that you can just be like water in moments, but most guys are just not ready to be like water. They're just, it's why it's why Jeet Kune Do is the mastery of the skill in and of itself, the ability to be pliable through everything, the ability to know that you don't know. It, it, it's like this existential Zen place to be. And it gets really hard when, when you have outside influences all the time. Right. And, and I could circle this all the way back to MPEs. And the question we asked was like, if we put a player in a vacuum his whole life and he had no outside influences, no visual stimulation, no nothing, and we just flipped him a ball over and over and over again, and we just flipped him a ball and said, hit a line drive. Like your objective is to hit the ball hard and hit a line drive through the middle of the field. If we, the closer we get to doing that with a player, the closer we'll get them into their natural human profile, into their motor preference profile. Right. So with grip stuff, like I think players will eventually manipulate that on their own if we allow them to. But we get too busy coaching them when they're kids that we have to then uncoach them when they're older. And now the stimulation you get from outside sources causes influences elsewhere. So to me, grip is a natural thing that I would just like look at as like, OK, well, I'm going to try all this stuff to 
figure out how I want to deliver the bat to give myself the best risk reward. And then when I want to jump the route, maybe I'll over grip because I want to pull or whatever the circumstances are. But those were usually things that I would work through early in the day. And I told you one of my biggest breakthroughs my last year playing indie ball was I, I needed to feel like I, I engaged my top hand sooner. It was literally a cage moment. My my aha moment that year was I literally just squeezed the bat tighter when I got into my barrel tip. And then all of a sudden, the thing that I wanted to show up showed up. It's, yeah. <clears throat> I taught in my talk, I talked about the lead arm and the connection of the bat to the lead arm and how that essentially the lead arm gets turned into a lever to move the bat. Um, some guys are top hand hitters. Some guys are bottom hand hitters. Some guys are more in the finger. Some guys are more box grip tighter. The motor preference stuff, I think the more I learn about it is completely tied into this and relevant to the conversation. So that's awesome. Um, but it like I just I love measuring the stuff that you can't see. So like we can look at body movements all day. We can like pull up clips of hitters and and look at where their bodies are. I believe what we're gonna find with this thing is the grip and the pressure and the tension and everything that's being created is gonna create the body moves that we're looking at. So this is more like rooted information that's going to cause the movements that we keep seeing. So my ultimate goal is understanding if if a swing flaw, if something is happening with the swing that is detrimental to creating a good path, being able to cue different grips and different feels of like where to feel the bat, how to feel the bat to create swing changes through grip pressure. So I'm excited about it. I think it's really, really has ability to impact the game which is good big fan of that big fan um the we talked about dallas barbecue already um anything else you want to add about the dallas barbecue you're you i mean every time you come to texas you're full send on on the queue it's funny barbecue every day what's your favorite meat stuff this is going to be weird because i've it's evolved like it used to be ribs, it went to brisket, it changed to pulled pork, and now I'm on sausage links. Like if you can do a good sausage link, those jalapeno sausage links that we got here were were pretty yeah. pretty fire, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the pulled pork, I I think it's all good. I'm a huge fan of brisket. I love brisket. Um, my favorite barbecue thing I've had in downtown Austin was a some brisket nachos. But I had some pulled pork nachos at the uh, convention center that were incredible. So I don't know if it, I don't know if I just like nachos with my barbecue or what. The, the yeah, salty, the salty, that, crunchy, so the, the I, combination I, of texture. I think gets me. I tasted, I tasted those, and they were like, let they me tell you something. They're really I, good. It's hard for me when I look at barbecue. I try to isolate the barbecue, right? Those nachos were awesome. The queso was great. All the like the pico, the whatever else was on it, onions. Like, but it's not true barbecue. That combination yeah. of flavors, yeah, they were awesome. Don't they were very get it good. twisted. Yeah. You're right. But I, when I'm looking at barbecue objectively, I just try to think of the meat, and I try to say, is this meat so tender that it just falls apart? And then when it does that, if it's spiced, seasoned, and and barbecued right. 
like if you put the right sauce on it with the right combination of spices, you win. All right, I was gonna say. So you really care about how how to, how the meat's rubbed? Well, yeah. I mean, I've always been. Remember, I was I was nicknamed the condiment king when I was young. It's to me like meat is meat at the end of the day, right? Like, yeah, I've I've gotten really into cooking steak recently. And then shout out John Thorbond for uh, for making us some tomahawks while we were there. Pretty good. It, literally, Pretty good. the sim the simplicity of cooking meat with salt and pepper. And seasoning it well. I, I when I learned this like about four years ago, you can put as much salt on meat as you could possibly ever imagine when you're doing your dry rub. Like it's like just swarm it in salt because that ultimately, I think, is what extracts the natural flavors of the meat, makes it taste really good without having a sauce it one way or another. My general rule is you gotta. It's like the cheese pizza. If you want to know what the pizza tastes like, you got to have cheese pizza. Otherwise, you're tasting the flavors. So the nacho thing is is really not a fair test. I just really, well, yeah. I just really enjoy it. So for like, I always will eat the barbecue without any sauces. The sauces can enhance; they can enhance. But I think if you need a sauce to enhance, then that speaks kind of, a little bit, kind of speaks to the quality of the meat overall and the process. Not saying that it. I mean, if it's good, it's good. You you have your movie rating scale like what's the what do you call it surplus value what's your what's your uh, uh, net positive net but yeah your net your net net score um, I mean basically if you're eating if you're eating Texas barbecue you're probably in good shape you're probably not going wrong yeah um, some of my favorite barbecue I've had there's a place one town up they do a turkey that is you just sit there and pick at it all day it's it's like the perfect flavor with the saltiness and the, it's just, oh, it's so good. Um, brisket's my go-to rib second, probably, but the, the sausage links can be so good too. Tough to go wrong with it. I, I usually don't like the, like the mac and cheese. Like, I, I don't know why I don't like, if I'm going to eat mac and cheese, I basically want craft, like just box mac and cheese. That's to me, that's what mac and cheese is. Um, which is, probably just all preservatives and absolutely terrible for you but that's like i like mac and cheese like that and i usually don't like like the super creamy cheesy mac and cheese that you get at a place like that um but you can get your beans cornbread's always usually pretty good a lot of options i, I would i would officially say we're off the rails now we were on the rails now we're off well i mean it's a topic list dallas barbecue is on the list i don't know what the link is is the link just me with Ferbs in line? Yeah. 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 Smoke pit. What a legend Ferbs is, by the way. What a guy. He's. If you don't know, if you don't know, if you don't know DJ Ferbs. Oof. Um. All right. Last topic. Did you see anything? The the Texas convention was very different than ABCA. It was, I would say, like eighty percent clothing and like custom gear stuff. There's one company that I saw. I forget the name of them. I have their business card at home. They're doing, um, you know, the puck knobs that you can get with the, the wood bats. Now they're doing like a puck knob that you can hook onto like a normal bat. So it's like a DK sensor thing that you just slide on the end of the bat to create counterbalance. Felt pretty solid. Um, they had a 243 wood bat, and I popped it on, and it definitely shifted the feel of it. Um, 
potentially interesting for players. Like if you're going to face a guy that's throwing like a riding fastball and you want to get a little more hand loaded way to do it. So I, I don't hate the product for, for practical purposes. I, I feel like you would probably hate it as a, from a no. principal standpoint. But. So you always talk to me about confirmation biases and I think so many of the products that get created in our space are about they're just confirmation bias products, right? Somebody that, that created the product had like an eternal experience where they opened up a whole new world to themselves for whatever the reasons, whether it be swing related or, you know, philosophy related, whatever. And, and then that product gets, it's the, the split grip bat that all the, like they all become, they're all related to something that you felt personally, right? It's the same thing as any of these swing guys out there that are talking about how their their swing is the best swing. It's like, well, you have confirmation bias, dude. Like it helped you, it, it, but it goes, it, it circles back to the same thing we're talking about with grip pressure, where for me, grip pressure was table stakes, right? Like it was something I did naturally, organically. And a lot of people may have never thought about that, right? So when they do and they have their aha moment that unlocks something for them and they have the best stretch of their life, like it was the same reason why when you and I went down the swing path and it was time for me, I needed to learn some version of good in swing mechanics, right? I didn't have good swing mechanics. I never cared about them. They were not interesting to me. I didn't think they were separators. And then when I, I went to the swing revolution with you, swing overhaul with you, which was really just probably getting me closer to my natural profile. It was a game changer, right? Like that happens for everyone with something, right? And it happens at some different stage of development. So when I think about tools, equipment, training tools, whatever they are, they, they're all like something that resonated deeply with somebody. So this puck knob thing, Somebody was like, they, they used the puck knob and they were like, oh, and then <laughs> to keep up with the Joneses in baseball, it's like the bat with no knob, right? The Dude, one every, every single bat, every bat manufacturer had no, 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 uh, no knob, like the full flare. They had super crazy tapers. Everybody's doing puck knob. Half of them have a variation same, of axe grip. Same thing with the axe grip, right? Like they're all the same They're the, and they, and look, they all resonate with somebody I think what MPE does is it, it literally helps define for you which one you should go to sooner than having to like actually experience it, right? It, it, that, that's why MPE to me is so wonderful. It goes, hey, here's your normal. It's, it's the, it's, that was the dream, right? That was the aspiration early on in, in trying to develop something that was groundbreaking and earth shattering for, for us is like, how do I define your good? your good not mine yours without really knowing what you're feeling seeing and thinking good stuff christopher good stuff Anything lovely else? nah i gotta go i'm gonna check on my boy good stuff on that note to glow